scripture we read on praying in the spirit last week, which is Ephesians. Ephesians 6 and 18. Talks about supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. And we try to explain last week as to what it means to pray with the spirit and what it means to pray in the spirit. Amen. We already may declare that he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Which is first Corinthians six seventeen. So we said praying in the spirit is a releasing of the spiritual gifts within our spirit man, such as prophecies, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Amen. And to pray in the Spirit is to pray with the influence of the Holy Spirit, exalting His power in our spirit to know the will of God. All of this is because the scripture says, 1 John 5, 1 John, that if we pray according to His will, He heareth us. And this is the confidence that we have. We pray according to His will. He heareth us. So if we pray in the Spirit, and the Spirit knows the mind of God, He reveals the mind of God to us in the course of our prayers. And then we have the confidence because then we know we are praying according to the will of God. Amen? Praise the Lord. When you pray with the will, or in the will of God, or with the will of God, you come into a place where you are assessing a realm to get the mind and the intents of God for you, such that even if you have issues, it's like approaching the throne of grace to help. In times of need. Hallelujah. You are moving to the throne room. Of God to receive help. To meet needs. Because the, the excess of you praying. Most of us accept maybe. Pray with thanksgiving as the case may be. You are trying to assess the mind of God. And there is a location as it were. Whereby God can make these things available to you. Which is the spirit realm. Hallelujah. So, I uh, just want to look at a few things today, a few questions which I also want to answer. Because we are talking about the throne of God, where it's like saying we are ascending to the Spirit to get God's thought, to get God's mind, and bring it down here. So, the question is, how do we have access into the throne of grace, which is the spirit realm, to receive our weapons of war, as the case may be? How do we assess that? Uh, we're going to look at a few scriptures. For instance, Romans chapter 10 verse 17. I would like us to look at that first. Romans 10 17. Just write some of these things. We may not read all so that we have enough time to finish what we need to do. But Romans 10 17 said, So then faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Now when you hear God's word, automatically you know his will. And I tried to explain last week, level by which you can hear God, or receive the will of God, which could be through the word, prophecies, and even the written word. You remember that? Okay. Now, go to Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 1. Isaiah 53, verse number 1. He said, who had believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The word report there actually 
means doctrine also. Who have received our teachings or our doctrines. Amen. Hallelujah. And that is also directly connected to the word hearing. When you say believe. You can't believe until you've heard something. You can't believe a thing until you've heard about it. And conviction is registered within your spirit or your heart. Praise the Lord. So he said, well, believe our report. In other words, we'll believe what we are teaching. We'll believe the doctrines that we are speaking forth. Okay, go to Hebrews chapter 4. And then we'll read from verse 14 to 16 on Hebrews 4. I'm saying, how do we access the throne of grace? Praise the Lord. Hebrews 4, 14. Seeing then that we have a high priest, a great high priest, that is passing to the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. For is not point tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Just quickly jump to Hebrews 10 verse 19. Hebrews 10 verse 19. He said, Having therefore brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Amen. So, the throne of grace is found within the holiest. Hallelujah. Is that okay? When we talk about the throne of grace, it's found within the holiest. Which has to do with the most holy place. Now, if you were to, if we don't look at this altar, are you there with me? See, the tabernacle in the wilderness is like this altar, it's a box. Now, on top of the box, which is the ark, I mean the ark, okay? On top of the ark, we have two cherubims facing each other. Are you there with me? Now, I'm going to use two of you. Come, two of you, come. Just drop your books. Um, you stand here. Stand here, face him. You're going to face each other. Quickly. Okay, a little bit. Then bend down a little bit. No, 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 not too much. Just stretch your hand. I'll touch yourself at the top. Okay, raise your hand up. Okay, like it goes fine. Now, assuming they are on top of that altar now. Is that okay? Good. This is the place where you call the throne of grace. You understand that? God was speaking from on top of this ark now. This is the ark. Assuming it's on top there. God was speaking from here. This was where the glory of God was. Is that okay? What we call the Shekinah glory was in between these two cherubims. Now you are promoted today. You are cherubims now. Now so, these are the wings that we're discovering. Now when you look at Psalm 91, when you say, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. Is that okay? So where do you find God's shadow? It's found between these cherubims. Is that okay? Now these two cherubims are on top of the ark. In the most holy place. So what he's saying is, if you have to find need, I mean if you want to find help to meet your need, you come here. In the most holy place. Are you getting that? Right. If you need help, you come here. This is where God spoke to Moses from. This is where God was communicating to the high priest. Now you can go and sit down. Thank you. So, that is the shadow of the Almighty. Right on top of the ark and the most holy place. Now, even look at that in Hebrews 10. Look at it, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Is that okay? So, here the illustration is that of the high priest and his office on the day of atonement. 
as he offers the blood of propitiation on the mercy seat in the most holy place. So on top of that ark with those two cherubim is what you call the mercy seat. Okay. Now, the blood of animals were sprinkled when the high priest goes in there. Are you listening? Okay. But now, it's only the high priest that goes there once a year on behalf of the sins of the people. When he takes the blood, they please the blood, sprinkles the blood, and it's like the blood is not speaking. It's a propitiation. It's like an appeal to say, forgive the people their sins. Now, the high priest does that. You can do that in the Old Testament. But now the Bible is saying, Christ, thank you. Now, you understand what happened when Jesus died and resurrected. Mary was to touch him. Is that okay? Alright, but he told him, touch me not for I have not yet ascended unto the Father. What he was trying to say is this. The pattern of the tabernacle must be fulfilled. Now, if the lamb was shed, the blood has to be taken to the most holy place, which is on top of the ark. Is that okay? So what he's saying now is, though I have risen, I am the lamb of God, I have not yet ascended to drop the blood that we speak on your behalf. So don't touch me now until I fulfill the office of the high priest. Do you follow that? Okay. So that's exactly what happened because it was the lamb. Now the blood has to speak. So when Hebrew 10 is saying, we can come boldly, he went in there, sprinkling the blood, the curtain was open, and he now said, henceforth, you can now come there. You don't need to wait for another blood or somebody to take the blood or to plead for you. You can come here and speak to God. Are you following that now? So that is one of the things that the blood of Jesus have done for you. That you have access to go to where the high priest could not go to. Meaning, if the high priest goes there, and God can speak to him from that place, when you go there, God can also do what? Speak to you. Okay. Praise the Lord. So, like I said, the message is found between the, and that's on top of the earth, between the two cherubims, with their wings touching each other, and in between them was the Shekinah glory, or the symbol of the divine majesty of God, from which place the Lord conversed with the high priest. This is what is called the shadow of the Almighty. So you need to understand Psalm 91 from today as well. When the Bible says, He that dwelleth in the secret place, what he's trying to say is, you are supposed to find your abode between the two cherubims. There, there is protection. And that's a place where you can hear God, and God can speak to you as well. Praise the Lord. Okay. So now, this also tells us precisely, this scripture tells us the difference between uh, us and the Old Testament. Like I said, the Old Testament, the high priest have to do that for you. But today you can do that through the blood of Jesus. Is that okay? So you can obtain mercy to help in times of need. Amen? Alright. Uh, I want to explain a few things there. For when we say that we may obtain mercy, you know, to obtain is to take. You should understand that. I obtained my degree. You, you grab it. You collected it. You passed the exam. You got it. Is that alright? Okay. So, to have mercy or to obtain mercy to meet need. That is receiving the pardon of our sins. There is mercy for taking as a result of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. By tasting there for every man. So, every man has a legal right to go to that perpetration. That is, and take the mercy that is sustained, I mean, seated to his degree of guilt. There is no amount of guilt or offense committed that does not have a corresponding amount of mercy that can be obtained. I want you to understand this. When he says to obtain mercy, from the mercy said, the mercy has to do with a man whose sins are forgiven or the offenses committed are pardoned. Is that alright? Okay. The excess of the high priest sending the blood there is that the sins of the people might be pardoned which they committed for the whole year. Now Jesus poured the blood and it's not saying you have access to go there. In other words, there is never a sin you commit that you can have a corresponding amount of mercy to meet with your sin if you, if you approach there. Do you understand what I'm saying now? By reason of what Jesus has done, every sin you commit, whether small or big, the level of mercy needed to meet that sin is on that seat. You can approach there 
And those guilt, those sins are wiped away by reason of the blood of Jesus. That is why there is a comparison between the blood of Jesus and the blood of Abel, as the case may be. The blood of Jesus is crying, Abel is crying for vengeance, but the blood of Jesus on the mercy seat is pleading for mercy continually on behalf of those who can approach the place. Is that alright? Okay, praise God. And he said, then we find grace to meet. Mercy refers to the pardon of sin. And be brought into the favor of God or relationship. But grace upon the soul of the one that is forgiven and has obtained mercy. And by grace also the soul is purified from all unrighteousness. Now I want you to understand the difference here. When you talk about mercy. Remember we mentioned two things. It talks about grace, talks about mercy. Mercy has to do with your sins. That now has to be forgiven as you approach the mercy seat. Grace is that which gives you an enablement within your spirit, man, to not only believe, but to receive. That, of course, my sins are forgiven, so I'm qualified for what I'm asking God for. Do you understand that? He said that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. So understand that by reason of the blood of Jesus, you have been forgiven. Through the grace release, you can not only approach, but you are within your spirit man, within your soul, you know that I've been forgiven. So when the Bible says, therefore there remain no more condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, you have to understand it. You don't have to live in condemnation if you can approach the throne in prayers. There is enough grace on the throne to sustain, I mean your spirit, to sustain the conviction that Christ died and there is no amount of sin I commit that does not have a corresponding power to cleanse out. So that thing that enables you to have that conviction is the grace you're going to find. Are you there with me? Good. So, grace supports the soul of the one that is forgiven and ultimate mercy. And by grace also the soul is purified from all unrighteousness. Remember that. That's very also important. One of the things, because you see, why is this so? Because of yourself, you can do nothing. You don't have power to cleanse yourself. You don't have power to sanctify yourself. By grace, through grace, even in the finished work, your soul can be sanctified. The thought can be purified. Your mind can begin to receive the mind of God. Amen? Hallelujah. Again, we'll find that through this medium of grace, you are sustained in all trials and difficulties and empowered to prove faithfully unto death. Watch that. Sometimes when people get into some situations, they say, oh, this man needs grace. Have you said that before? What do you think you are talking about? It's not saying you need God's sympathy. You may not necessarily know exactly what you mean when you say, this man needs grace. If I, let's just pray for grace. <laughs> you are not praying for him, for God to pardon the person. What you are saying is may God sustain his thoughts so that the trial don't weigh him down. Is that okay? Grace gets your soul sustained, gives you the ability to sustain your mind for God so that you are not weighed down from the trials and temptation that you are facing. That's why you say he needs grace. So, Sometimes you also say, I need grace. What are you trying to say? God, help me. Is that alright? So the level of grace that comes to you, the amount of grace that comes to you, is what sustains you in times of trouble. And of course, where do you obtain grace from? The mercy seat. Meaning, you are actually supposed to be praying. This is why the scripture also says, pray without season. Because if you need grace in every situation, in any terrible situation, you just go through prayers, and once you can approach the throne, grace will be released that can sustain you in that situation. Are we together? Right. I want you to understand. And then the next thing is to help in time of need. Amen? To help in time of need. Talking about the reasonable support that is support when necessary 
and as necessary and in due proportion to the necessity. The Greek word here actually means to assist or assistance, help and support. It is an assistance rendered on the basis of the earnest cry of the one that needs the help who is in distress. Now let me explain what I mean. To help in times of need. Just like there is enough grace. Just that there is enough or sufficient mercy to forgive. In times of trouble, there is also enough grace to help your need. No matter what your needs are, there is enough provision to meet your need when you are prodigal. through. To help in times of need. Now you find that your needs may not be my needs. Your needs may not be mine. Your need may not be his own. But no matter the level of need you have, when you approach the throne, there is sufficient provision from that throne to enable you to meet your needs. So, understand what he said. Your needs. Hallelujah. In other words, there is more than enough assistance that comes from there is going to be enough help that comes from that throne if you can approach the throne. So think about it this way. We can be forgiven all things. We can have grace sufficient to meet all trials. We can have all our needs met if only we can approach the throne. All needs, whatever class it may be, small or big, whatever need, the way you can define it. If you can approach the throne, there is sufficient provision for your needs to be what? To be met. So the question is, where do we really have to have our needs met? It's right through the throne. Hallelujah. That is why I must learn to pray. Can I amen to that? We don't have to be meeting need by thinking somehow. We don't have to be meeting need by thinking di differently from where we are supposed to have our needs met. It is not in the hands of men. It is not in the hands of government. The needs to be met must come from the throne. So can we learn to be a praying house to meet our needs? Hmm? Okay. Understand it again from this perspective. Every dying man, every perishing man who is in danger and cries out for help. Am I right? Okay. It simply means one of the ways you draw the attention of God, but that, listen, it's not because that is part of how the Hebrew word really means. Talking about the one that cries out for help. Times of need. Crying out for help. But you see, it's not necessarily the way we cry. Because to my own understanding, it has to do with the spirit enabling us to groan. When we groan, we are crying unknown to us. Are you there together? And then, that groaning state, the Spirit takes that, the Holy Spirit takes that, and communicates that to God, and God understands all the attention of God is drawn as you groan in prayer. You'll be weeping in your spirit, not necessarily crying out as the case may be, as you groan in the spirit, and that the Spirit takes your need from God and back to you. In other words, He first draws the attention of God, God supplies the need, and then you receive them. Because convincingly you will know God has answered your prayers. Are you still there? Why do you have to believe that? Because number one, your sins are forgiven. You have enough grace sufficient to make you believe that because my sins are forgiven, whatever I ask, I receive. Now you see what Mark says. He who prays will believe that he receives. How? Because you have boldness to approach. With those qualities there, and since I'm forgiven, I'm clean before the Lord. I have enough grace to meet my needs. So the grace is that thing that convinces you that your prayers are answered. Because number one, the only thing that can make God not to answer your prayer is iniquity. But since you can approach the throne and the blood is speaking for forgiveness, you have conviction that your iniquity can no longer stop you. Therefore, evidently you believe that you have received because there is enough grace there for you. To receive your help in times of need. Are we all together? Hallelujah. Okay. Now I just want to ask a simple question again. Should we use the weapon to remove all obstacles in our way? Because remember, praying in the spirit, or as we're talking about, is part of the weapons of our warfare. 
Okay. Come on, are we together? So the question is, should we use this weapon to remove all obstacles from our way? In other words, you know the kind of prayer that goes on. Maybe killing enemies, removing obstacles, mountains, whatever. Are we to use this prayer now to remove all mountains from our way, all obstacles from our way? I mean, as we perceive them. Okay. John chapter 14 verse 30. John 14 verse 30. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. Oh my God, my battery is running. For the prince of this world cometh and have nothing in me. Hallelujah. Did you get that? Prince of the world coming and have nothing in me. Now, Matthew 5.39. Just write it down. But I say unto you, that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to the other. Proverbs 20. Just write it down. Verse 22. Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. Amen. Okay. I'm asking. You, you can approach it through. You can pray. You can. Do we use all? Or do we come to the point where everything we looks like or looks like evil? Have you had people say, I'm going to fast because of you? Huh? Maybe he wants to pray now so that something happened to you or something like that. Now, are we supposed to apply prayer in that mood? That's that what I'm saying. Now, here I was. Okay, you know the story of Jesus where he said uh, Peter brought the sword and all of that and even Pilate and he told them if I had wanted I could speak to angels that will come. Remember that? Amen? Okay. In other words, he can praise the Father a host of angels will be saying now but he prayed that prayer. So why did he not pray? Because that is not God's will. Amen? Okay. Now the prince of the world coming that you find nothing in me in other words it's like temptation is coming to him. It's like he should be tried. His faith is to be tried again. But it's like saying, I won't fall. Remember, then he has already been tried in chapter 4 of Matthew. So it's like another trial is coming. And to me, what was the trial? It's another way of saying, don't go to the cross. And because he couldn't say that directly to him, I think he tried to speak through Peter to tell him not to go to the cross. Amen? So what was the prayer of Jesus? Get it behind me. You can't stop me from fulfilling the will of God. What I'm trying to say is, you don't use prayer to, to, how do I put it? In every situation to get through for what you want. You must come because we're talking about praying according to the will of God. There are some things you don't ask God for to do for you. Hallelujah. Knowing that those are His wills. Now, when he says resist no evil, it also means the evil man. Amen? Uh, basically here, remember, like in Matthew, I want to think about it this way. In Matthew chapter 5 there, it has to do with a man being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Is that okay? More he is saying, don't raise. When he says, turn the other cheek, in other words, if you are being persecuted for righteousness' sake, don't revenge. That is why Proverbs 20 22 is saying, revenge or vengeance belongs to God. Is that okay? All right. So, let's look at the scripture because you have to look at the issue of resist, which is very important. James 4, verse 7. James 4 verse 7. It says, Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. No, so how do we resist? Our common understanding is by prayer. By binding. Amen. But can I tell you something? When you say resist the devil... And it will flee, submit yourself to God. 
to start with, for you to resist is to submit yourself. Why will you overcome? How can you overcome the devil through the principle of resistance? Is to resist his temptations, which is basically his tool for defeating your life. The pride of life, the loss of the flesh, and whatever. You understand that? Are we together? You are not resisting one man by fighting the man. Okay, look at it this way. The Bible says, God resists the proud. Did he say so? So is God binding you? But he doesn't just want to have an association with a proud man. Is that okay? So when you resist the devil, you do not partake of the devil's tools of trade or business. And what are that? This like pride. Hallelujah. And that's why you hear the people say pride comes before a fall. So the trade of the devil is pride and envy and such things that are in the world. All those minor, minor things, unforgiveness, pride, hatred. These are the tools of the enemy. Spirit of vengeance, jealousy. These are the tools of the enemy. So when you say, resist the devil, we flee from you. Okay, watch that. You find that Jesus resisted the devil in Matthew chapter 4. Am I right? If you be the son of God, turn this. If you be the son of God. Understand it. How did you never saw Jesus say, you know, binding, I bind you or something? He simply said, It is written. So, to resist is not to accept an opinion or a suggestion that can turn you away from the Lord. So, what the devil does is to deceive you. So, ability to design. So, part of the way you resist God is submitting to God and designing the source of that which is coming to you. As a temptation. Amen. Are we together? So we use our faith, humble prayers, and heavenly wisdom as a weapon of resistance. While at the same time we submit as good soldiers put himself in complete subjection to his captain. These are just the two principles of which you can resist the devil. How do I resist the devil? I will not want to accept his suggestion to me to do what is contrary to the will of God. Pride. Envy, jealousy. I know all of these from the scriptures. Are we together? So there is no way the devil wants to bring this to me and I want to take it. And he says, submit. Now a man who submits himself to a captain or a military man is a man under discipline. You can only take instruction. Watch this. Submit yourself to God. You can only take instruction from one master at a time. Are we together? Fine. So, who you submit yourself to is the one you obey. Is that okay? Who you resist is the one you disobey. Very simple. So submit yourself unto the Lord. Resist the devil. You are saying the same thing from the opposite side. One you submit as a disciplined person under instruction. The other one you resist because the one bringing instruction is not your master. Is it simple? Are we together? So, we are not really talking about binding and losing. And I've explained that to you before. What does binding and losing mean? When you bind, it's binding heaven. It's not necessary. You can apply it, but it's not necessary prayers. But it's simply talking about, you know, it's talking about the brother who, who is resisting the authority of the church. Your brother offend you. You remember that? And he come to you and say, please forgive me or let's reconcile. He said, no. You call two other persons. He said, no. You call the church. He said, no. He said, consider that a man like as a heathen. For whatever you bind in on earth is what? He bind in heaven. In other words, you church, you have authority to excommunicate that individual who has become reconciled to simple instruction of the Lord in the church because his authority functions from the church. That's what it means to bind. It's not necessarily I bind you, Satan. That's not what he's saying. Hallelujah. Are we together? Okay. So the same thing is what James is saying here. If you submit, you obey. If you resist, you disobey. Is it simple? Oh, praise God. Alright. Now, when you go to Romans 8, verse 28, it says, For we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are they called according to all. His purpose. All things. 
So, the question is, should we use our weapon of war? And in what manner are we going to use it? And all of that, the answer simply says, no, we don't use this weapon of war for all situations the way we have been taught or the way we seem to believe it. Rather, we should design which ones are ordered of the Lord to bring us into the place of perfection and growth in Him. In other words, we design situations. We see this one that I'm getting into or this one that is coming to me, is it from the Lord? Remember what I told you sometime, every cross is not from God. Is that alright? How many of you can remember that? Okay. Every cross that God gives to you, though it's a cross, but it's a glory on the other side. Because Jesus, the scripture says, for the glory that was set before him, he endured the cross. He saw the glory so he can bear the cross. The conviction of the glory and the weight of the glory makes you or gives you the ability to bear the cross so that you can go through. Amen? Are you still there with me? So every situation that comes here where you design whether this is from God or this is from man. It's just like you find that, thank you Lord, you find that David was asked to choose, I think, two or three things. The hand of the Lord, the judgment and famine. Remember that? Because he counted the soldiers. Now why was it so? If you look at the scripture, thank you Lord. If you look at the scripture in Chronicles and somewhere, it's like they're having two different accounts. One of them, the Bible says, God tempted him. God moved him to count. The other one, the Bible says, the devil tempted him. Have you read that before? Huh? Go and read your book. You read it, the account seems different, but they're not different. What God was doing was, he moved him to count his to see if David would trust wholeheartedly that only God can defend him and that he will not trust in the arms of the strength of the soldiers, just like he did to Gideon. Is that okay? But he failed. He failed the test. And God now said, now you can you speak? Now I want to think of what David did was that, okay, go and count the soldiers for me. I know how many soldiers I have that can, I can take to war. But it's God that fight their battles for them. But now his mind was no longer in God. His mind was on the strength of men and the number of soldiers he can get. That is what got God angry. But God moved him to do that. He just wanted to try his mind to see if he can convincingly say, well, no. I can count because my strength belongs to God and not the armies of Israel. Is that okay? Alright. Now, that is what you find that should have been the issue. Remember, uh, children of well, this guy in the book of Jeremiah, I forgot the name, their grandfather said they won't take wine. Remember that? And the priest came and said, come and take a little wine as he gets me. He said, no, our father sold us. We don't have to take wine. Remember that? Good. So you see, it was God that was speaking to them. We wanted to see how much grace they have in their soul to believe what their father said. In this family, we don't take wine. But God came, just drink. The priest was speaking, the prophet was speaking to them. Take wine. They said, no, we can take our father's soldiers. You see what I mean now? So even if it was God or the devil that went to David and said, hey, go and count the soldiers. David should have been able to say, no, no, no. We don't depend on the strength of the armies. To go to war. God is our Jehovah Sabwa. Amen. Is that okay? Okay. Right. So the next thing. So understand the difference between resist and submit. How do you resist the devil? You reject his suggestions. Can I hear an amen to that? Good. Instead, so what? Oh, thank you, Lord. See, if you look at it, I say resist the devil and you flee from you. Did you read that? Okay. So the first time the devil came to Jesus, turned the stone. Get into the pinnacle, give you the whole world. The more Jesus said it is written, the Bible says, after that the devil left him. What happened? He flee from Jesus. Did you get a picture there? The devil flee because Jesus will not submit. Because there is one master that we can submit to, and that is God, that is Christ for us. Amen. So anytime the devil gives you a suggestion and you resist by not obeying, he finally flees from you. Is it simple? Praise God. Okay, my next question, I think this we will talk through. What a okay. What are some of the problems that will work against the successful use of our weapons of war? What are some of the problems that can work against the successful use of our weapons of war or weapons of prayer? Weapons of prayer in this instance. 
Isaiah 59 verse 1 to 2. Isaiah 51, 59, 1 to 2. It said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Amen. Go to Psalm 66, verse 17 to 18. Psalm 66, 17 to 18. I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Is it there? Psalm 66, I said. 1718. Is it not there? Okay. I'll take it again. I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was restored with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not do what? Hear me. So I want you to understand. There is a place for regarding iniquity. There is a place for, how do I put it now? For being involved in iniquity, if you will. I will explain as we progress. If I, for instance, regard unforgiveness in my heart, it's another way of saying regarding iniquity. Amen? Okay. 1 John 3, 21. 1 John 3, 21 to 22. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Amen? So what will stop us or prevent us from using effectively our weapons of prayer is to regard iniquity where? In our heart. Hallelujah. There are iniquities and evil conscience. I want you to understand that. Iniquity actually means perversity. That is moral evil. It means fault. Iniquity, mischief, punishment, sin. In the Greek, it is a human which is illegality, that which is not legal. That is violation of law, wickedness, to transgress or transgression. Praise the Lord. I want you to understand that. And one more scripture. And then we can be done with this. And I will explain further. Hebrew 10:22. Hebrew 10.22 Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from what? An evil conscience. And our bodies washed with what? With pure water. Now watch this. The thing that separates us from using the weapons of prayer is iniquity. Amen? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If our conscience is right with God, the Bible says, we have this assurance, the confidence that whatever we ask, we receive because we keep His commandments. Are you there? Hebrew 10 now says, the only thing that can cleanse your conscience is what? The blood of Jesus. Amen? So now, if we want to talk about applying the blood here in the first place, what should the blood do for us? What, what do you think we need the blood for the most, even now? It's on our conscience. Do we need to sprinkle the blood? Yes. Where do we sprinkle the blood? In our conscience. To me, that's the best thing. 
It's not sprinkling it on things so that the devil doesn't capture that. But if you can sprinkle the blood in your conscience, meaning the blood, the blood can always prevent you from retaining a conscience of iniquity. Are we together? The, the blood works in your conscience to cleanse it, and not just to cleanse it, but also to prevent it, because then you have an assurance which is confidence in your soul by means of grace to ask God for whatever you ask, and then you receive it. So if I have to plead the blood, I need to plead the blood in my conscience. To cleanse my conscience from all iniquity. To prevent me from retaining iniquity. Look at what it says. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Hallelujah. When we pray sometime about milk, think about it this way. If you pray for what you call enemy, you pray for what is called enemy. What do you think automatically you are retaining in your heart? Iniquity, evil, wickedness. Because you won't understand when you're praying that your mind is telling you this person must die for you to rejoice. Amen? Am I correct, somebody? You are indirectly doing that, unknown to you. And when you're asking that God should kill somebody, what do you think you're talking about? You're retaining iniquity in your heart. That is why God cannot. Okay, somebody help me look at the book of Hebrews. Um, no, 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 Romans. Let's look at Romans 11, for instance. Check it out for me. I'm sure Romans 11, verse 1 and 2. Just check it out for me. Let me see. Very quickly. Anybody there? But it has to do with Elijah. Can you put it up? Okay. Go down to verse 2. I said then had God... Oh, wow, wow, wow. Is that what I'm looking for? Okay, fine, I'm right. Go back to verse 1. Sorry. Look at what he says. Verse 1. Sorry. I said then, had God cast away his people, God forbid, for that I'm also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of this tribe of Benjamin. Verse number 2. God have not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Would he not walk the scripture said of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, verse 3, Lord, they have killed the prophets, and dig down the altars, and I'm left alone, and they seek my life. Go to verse 4. But what say the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Go to verse 5. Even so then, at this present time also, there is what? A remnant according to the election of grace. So, if you look at that scripture, what is he saying? Elijah was praying and saying, hey God, listen to me. Now, I want you to look at the word that is used. It said, Elisha interceded against. Did you get that? The word intersection was like a high priest. Hmm? Hey, are we together? Now he interceded. What he was trying to say, hey, listen to me, God. All these guys, they are idol worshippers. I'm the only one right now left in Israel. If you hate idol worshippers, wipe them out. And God said, no, you are not the only one that have not been worshipping idol. I have 7,000 men reserved somewhere. You are not the only one. Do you understand that? By implication, God did not grant him his request. Now, but look at the contrast in the book of James. The Bible says, Elisha is a man subject like unto us. He prayed for and said, God, there should be no rain. And there was no rain. Remember that? And when he said, let there be rain, and there was rain. So, look at the contrast. In the book of James, we are told he prayed, he had power, there was no rain. But the book of Romans, he prayed and God said, no, I'm not answering. Why? Because Romans 11 is not according to the will of God. So in this context, you find that actually Elias or Elijah was having iniquity in his heart. As far as I'm concerned. Because the Bible says, when you regard iniquity in your heart, God will not do what? Will not hear you. So here Elijah was regarding iniquity in his heart against the house of Israel. He had self-righteousness. 
Every other person is an idol worshiper. He is the only righteous man in Israel. And he said, the Lord says, idol worship. Now let me show you the simple secret. If you go back to the book of Leviticus and read very properly, you find that God said, when you worship idols, I'll make your heavens brass and your earth stones. Is that okay? That's what Elijah picked. Elijah simply went and said, remember God, this is what you said. Now, this is already worshiping idol. So can you fulfill your word? That was the prayer of Elijah while the rain didn't fall. Very simple. It doesn't, it's according to my word. What word? He never had anyone. He's the one he had from God. Because God already said, if you, if you go for idol worship, if you worship Baal, worship whatever stuff, that is not the true God, I will make your heavens brass and your earth become stones or ions, as the case may be. You know that word? No productivity. There's going to be famine in the land if you worship other idols. Because I'm supposed to give you whatever you, you're supposed to need to meet your needs. So here, yeah, these people actually started worshiping Baal through Jezebel and, uh, and the husband. Remember that? And so, when he came and said, according to my word, there shall be no rain, he was actually alluding to the fact that the scripture already said, and I believe that, and I'm standing to represent God. Now I'm bringing the judgment upon the land because that is what God said. And God said, what you said is the truth. There should be no rain. So his prayer was answered because he appeared to the court of God using the very laws of God to talk to him. And God had to respond to those laws because God honored his word more than his name. So he prayed according to the will of God. First Kings chapter 18 through 19. Is that okay? From 17. But when he prayed outside of the will of God in Romans 11, God didn't answer. Did you get the point now? So no matter how anointed you think you are, if your prayer is outside of the will of God, no answer. Because God himself is a man of integrity. Am I right? And so, if I regard iniquity in my heart, no matter how much olive oil you are going to use to apply whatever, God is not going to answer. He answers when you have a clean conscience and a clean hand. And your request is a type that is acceptable on the throne of grace. Not just because you have, you know, people talk about the being prayer warriors and whatever and things like that. Is that okay? No matter how much warriors you worry, or as it came to be, if, if it is not according to his will, he doesn't answer you. Praise the living God. Are we together? So I want you to understand, talking about praying in the spirit, praying with the spirit, and see what this prayer can do as we come to the throne of grace to obtain help to meet needs. And he's talking in times of need. In times of need, not just sometimes. In times of need, meaning anytime you are in need, you can approach the throne for help. And your need shall be what? Shall be met. God bless you.